Lord, we just thank you for Devald, for the word that you're going to bring through him. We're excited to hear more of what you want to say, Lord. So I just, I just thank you for your presence, Lord, and what we're about to hear. Bless him, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, everybody. Um, I appreciate coming here. I always do. And um, just as a testimony, yesterday we met. God is, God is definitely moving. That's all I can say. Um, Angelina and I have a vision that we've been carrying in our hearts for a couple of years now. And we just haven't seen any fulfillment of it. And neither could we see how it could be done. Uh, you know, and, and it's a very, very vague because we don't even know how to do it. But we have this heart for something. And um, this week we went out. There's a farm shop near us where there's a butcher's and a coffee shop, etc. So we said, oh, we're going to go and have a coffee there one afternoon. On the way there, there's a sign that says, oh, there's this, who knows of, who's ever heard of Mogger Hanger? Mogger Hanger. It's a little village. It's a name of a place. But anyway, Mogger Hanger Park. And um, I said to Andrew, oh, it's got a cafe there. Let's go and see. Do you want to go and see? She's like, yeah, let's go and see it. We drove in there, not expecting it to be open, number one. It's just this farm. And... There's two cars parked there, and we didn't expect much. Long story short, we walk in. It's so peaceful, so restful. And we just love this place. It's a, it's a very simple coffee shop. It's just the shed they've turned into this tea room, they call it. Um, and um, turns out it's owned by a Christian trust. Forty years ago, or 40-odd 40, 40 years, I might get some of this wrong, doesn't matter, but... This couple, very prominent man in England, he and his wife goes out for a walk. They see this old ruins in the field. They climb over fences, cross over fields, get to this ruin. God drops a vision in their hearts to have a place where Christian leaders can come and rest and be revived and be whatever God wants to do with them. They bought the place and they set this vision up. And I didn't realize this until now. (laughs) This actually fits in very well with my message. But then they needed money to do this place up because it was a grade one listed property. That takes a lot of money. So in this vision, they took some help from the National Lottery and the government, etc. Grants. But that comes with strings attached. Who knows that? And for 25 years, that pushed them off the vision they had. They couldn't fulfill it because they had to have commercial interests. So they tried to build a hotel and it didn't work. And for no reason. I mean, it's a perfect place for a hotel. Didn't work. This year, God sends a group of Christians who's looking for a church building, knocking on their door saying, look, we need a place to gather. We're a small church, etc." They say, yeah, we've got the stables at the back, beautiful little hall. You can use that. God brings this church in. The pastor and his wife, they get a vision and they are now running this facility. Part of it is that God said to them, restore the foundation, the vision. And they can get, they can get back on track again. After 25 years. This gentleman who originally bought it is in his 90s now. 
And he came, he came back. He's a trustee, but he, he, he hasn't visited it in, in many, many years because his heart was so sad for not having this vision fulfilled. And he's back in his 90s. And he's excited. Angelina and I'm having a coffee at this tea room. This woman walks in and she, we just started talking to her. And we just said, God bless you, we feel this. And she's like, I, I, I need your number. Give me your number. She takes Angelina's number and they start talking. And we went for a coffee yesterday. On the way back from London, we go past it. I said, oh, let's see if they open. Go in there. Angelina sends her a message. Say, oh, we are here. Where are you? But she grabs us, takes us through the whole place. We spent three hours with her. And what God has done, just to come back to what my original... God showed Angelina and me that our vision is possible, number one, and what it can look like. So no matter how impossible things seem, God has a way. Amen? Now, saying all of that, this lady yesterday gave us exactly that word that you gave us. She said, she said to us, God is going to start revealing things to you, opening up secrets Exactly that word. He's going to make a way for you. He's leading you on his path. Um, So yes, God is just confirming it again. So isn't God awesome? Jesus is just lovely. I have a, I, I tell you guys what, I came in here and I have a message. My message, it will take me five weeks, six days and a few hours to preach. So I'm going to try and cram it into three hours. Okay, so. We're going to push through. Um, people who don't know me are a little bit worried now. They're like, oh no. Um, <laughs> and, and here is what in the prayer meeting this morning and during worship, this burden, this heaviness, this intense urgency hit my spirit. And I want to say this to you guys. I, I, The time is now. First of all, stop looking who's not here. You are supposed to be here. You're going to be offended by what you hear this morning. Some of you might, some of you might not be. Some of you might be excited. But I'm telling you, you are here for a purpose. Stop looking. Oh, they should have been here to hear that this morning. Where's so-and-so? Oh, you know... uh, You should have been here on Sunday morning because the word was for you. No, the word is for you. Do you think that God, Jesus, who is able to give us a word yesterday, who confirmed it today with two people who doesn't know each other, is he not able to put you in the seat when he wants you here? Amen? And let those who are disobedient this morning between them and God. It's got nothing to do with you. You are here. You have a responsibility. You have to wake up. I'm telling you guys, there's an urgency what God is doing with you guys. And he's calling you as a church to step up. I hope you hear my heart. I I sometimes come across very, um, a bit bombastic, but that's just God's way of. And this is what we start with this morning. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Who knows the scripture? Matthew 16, 23. 21 to 23. 
I'm reading from the NIV because somebody told me apparently that's the only anointed Bible. I, I don't know about these things. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. From that time on, Jesus started sharing with his disciples his vision. He started sharing with his disciples his ministry. What is your ministry? What is your vision? This morning we heard. Did you? (laughs) Did you hear anything this morning? A vision? Then, Peter, good old Peter, could have said devil, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but mere human concern. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but mere human concerns. Jesus is foretelling his disciples what's coming, his destiny, the path he will take. The calling he received. His vision. To go and suffer many things. And die on the cross. Hallelujah. Jesus was sharing his personal destiny. His personal calling. calling. And in our lives. We have to share our vision. Amen. Amen. We have to share, what is your destiny? What is your destiny in Christ? Do you know? If you don't know, there's an urgency that is here for this church for today. There's an urgency in my spirit. And I know Jesus long enough to tell you this urgency is from Jesus. Guys, the bus is leaving. The train is pulling out of the station. If you're not on it. Jesus tells them from that time on, why? The urgency. You guys need to hear now. You know, the days of dancing and singing and just being, hallelujah, we're the lovely disciples of Jesus and the multitudes following us. And that's over. Urgency. Why? There's a calling on my life. What is the calling, Jesus? I must suffer many things and I'm going to die. Good old Peter. We look at him and we go, he rebuked Jesus. Let's look into it. Never, never, never shall this happen to you, Jesus. When we share our vision, when we share our testimony, when we share our destiny, how often do you get people clapping, getting excited for you? Say, hallelujah, that's what I want to see happen. 
My own personal experience is most often people rebuke. I remember the first time God showed me that he wants to send me as a missionary. I was 23 years old, a young lad and and, and on fire for Jesus. And I shared this testimony of how I want to go into the world. And I want to save 7 billion people. And I'm going to, you know, I was excited. Yes. And I'll never forget this. This lady in our church, she was an intercessor, an elder. And she came up to me and she said, calm down, young man. You see, the first thing I want you to realize is, so the word there that that Jesus, that that Peter took him aside, it says, um, Peter took him aside. Peter took him out of the congregation to his side. There's honor in that, right? He didn't just stand up and say, oh, Jesus, you know, shut up. No, he took him aside and, uh, you know, there's honor. In fact, if you look at the Greek, there's honor in there. It's one of the me. There's honor in what Peter did. Often people will come. When you share your vision, people will come with honor. It's not because they dishonor you. It's because they honor you. Misguided, maybe. Sincere, definitely. But there's honor in it. He took Jesus aside. And in honor, he began to say to him, Jesus... You know, what you're sharing doesn't really sit well with my spirit. Why is that, Peter? Well, I, I have this frame. I have this understanding. You know, I pray and, and, and I hear from God. And, and this doesn't fit into the frame I have, Jesus. Because in my frame, you should be victorious. You should lead us into a new kingdom. You should be the king. We have to be careful, people, that we do not become Peters to the vision that God has given you as a church. Be careful that your framework doesn't constrict what God wants to do. Because you don't have that framework. Your framework may look different. Doesn't include the homeless, maybe. Doesn't include all the work that needs to be done. You see, we as Christians are in a place where the prosperity gospel has so infiltrated us that when somebody shares a vision and a testimony that's not prosperous, we cannot accept it. What is this, Jesus? You're the King of Kings. How you shouldn't be talking like that. What would the people think of you? You're gonna die. The Sanhedrin is gonna rebuke you and. What is this? Come on, Jesus. Speak a bit more positive. Speak a bit more victorious. You know, imagine a missionary comes and tells the church, God has called me to China, and when I'm in China, God's going to put me before the, 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 the Communist Party. I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be put in jail for... Child rape and murder and all these things. Imagine what a church would do if somebody has this sort of vision. 
Because that's what Jesus said. To die on a cross, you have to understand, it's not what we see today. In fact, the cross is a massive, massive offense to any Jewish pe- person. I have, we did business with some Orthodox Jews. He refused to walk into a room where a cross was on the wall. He will not talk to you if you wear a cross on your chest. You know why? It was the worst, worst thing that could happen to a person. It is like a child rapist that would go on a cross. How can my Messiah go on a cross? How dare you speak like that, Jesus? Imagine this vision. The church board, you know, I'm just thinking in our day, the first thing the church board would do is probably say, um, hang on, what's the, legal, you know, what's the legal implication of this? What if he goes to China, the communist party? What is our responsibility in this? What is our moral obligation in this? What is our accountability to this? What religious contradictions are there in this vision? And and it gets harder the more we know. Or let me rephrase that, the more we think we know. Because you have certain preconceived ideas of what should be and what shouldn't be. And what it should look like. Does this make sense? Guys, we all, every single one of us has immense potential to be a Peter in this calling of God for this church. Because we all have religious ideas. We all have preconceived visions and ideas and framework. Of what it should look like and what it shouldn't look like. You know what, what Paul, I just quickly want to read this to you. And this is one of the scriptures I had to throw in here. By the way, this is all my introduction. I haven't even started my body yet. We're not going to get through this. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man who is Saul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now understand this calling God is giving to Ananias. First of all, what are you saying, Jesus? You're going to preach to those Gentiles? Hang on a minute. Um, No, no, no. The Gentiles are outside. They're the heathen. Do you hear this? It would not sit well with him. This vision, this calling that Jesus tells him to go and tell Saul would not sit well with him, first of all. Secondly, Saul killed Christians. He's a murderer. He's a persecutor of Christians. Talk about having a vision that shocks, that doesn't sit in our framework. Jesus says this to Ananias. He says, To the Gentiles and their kings. I have to go. And the people of Israel. There's so much in that verse. To the Gentiles and their kings. Because remember what the Jews believed. They believed Jesus was going to be there. The new king. Right? Here Jesus tells him. God tells him. Go and tell this guy. He must preach to the Gentiles and their kings. Are you telling me other kings are going to become Christian now? Jewish? What is happening here? This isn't supposed to be. The Messiah is supposed to be the king. Just 
Just make sure your neighbor is still there. I'm not sure everybody's in the room, actually. Verse 16. I will show him how much I'm going to bless him with all gold and silver and peace and joy and riches. Nobody's got their Bibles open. Oh, good. Hello. So you should have stopped me halfway through that. I will show him how much he must suffer. <laughs> Many people want an apostolic calling. Let me, let's be honest about it. I hear it so often when I'm in the church. Oh, the apostolic calling of God is on us. And we're going to go into London and we're going to save the whole of the East End. And everybody's going to become Christian because it's an apostolic calling. The apostolic calling is a calling into suffering. I thought it wasn't. I thought I'm going to go to the Far East and I'm going to become the next Billy Graham of the Far East. I had all the clothes. I bought it all. I had the shoes, everything set out. And all I did, all God gave me was He called me and He showed me how much I must suffer for the gospel, for His name's sake. Here is one of the things I want to tell you. This vision that was shared this morning is not a vision of Riches and glory and gold and silver. It's a vision that will... It's going to take suffering. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be failure. There's going to be opposition. Are you hearing me? But our prosperity mindset, our prosperity gospel... Does not allow for that. And, and I, will, I will give you some hope. Don't worry about it. Okay? I'm not totally. Actually, let me just mention that now. Why did Jesus go through the suffering? Come and help me out. Amen. For the joy that was set before him. Your vision may go through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. This morning somebody prayed it. And you know what I saw? Even though they walked through the valley, I saw people hopping and skipping through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. Come on. The joy that was set before us. But do not mistake joy for laughter and happiness. Do not mistake joy for a new BMW and a, I don't know, a mansion in the French Riviera. Maybe it is that, I don't know, but all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is that it's hard work, lots of work, and there is suffering involved. But there's a joy, there's a joy, there's a joy that gives you that inner peace and strength. Hallelujah. So, let us look at these the things we do as Peter, rebuking Jesus, good old Peter, rebuking Jesus. The first, the first word or part of this is, so that, that word there, the, when, when Peter rebuked Jesus, there's a lot of meaning in it. It is to show honor, 
It is to raise the price. Okay? So you're coming to buy my house, and as we're about to sign, I say, no, but I, I want another 50,000. I'm raising the price. It's to adjudicate or judge or award in the sense of merited penalty. Do you hear? Do you see an attitude here? Do you see motive? Do you see what Peter is doing? You see, his mindset was, you're going to be our new king, Jesus. What are you talking about dying on a cross? What are you talking about? He's adjudicating in a merited penalty for what Jesus said. Do you see that? He's, he's penalizing Jesus for what he said. When you share your vision, people quickly come up. And it's not in dishonor. They, they, they adjudicate. They judge the vision based on what they understand. Oh no, God has so much more for you, Angelina. You, you know, talking about dying. What are you talking? Come on, Jesus. Don't you know you're going to be the king of kings? It also means to negotiate, raise the price, negotiations. It means to rebuke and to admonish. We often find those nearest and dearest, and this is something we have to make peace with. It's not the stranger across the road. Because, so what? So what if my... I don't know this person living across the road comes and, and tells me, oh, you know, this vision of yours really is this and that and the other. Doesn't matter, does it? But when my brother or my sister talks to me or an elder or my spouse, and you, you, you have to believe that from that time on, in other words, that urgency, that moment, this is it for you. From this time on, you got to talk vision. You got to talk ministry. You got to talk calling. You got to speak destiny. What is the destiny? What is the destiny? It is to see people that's destitute and outcast, for instance, come and have a home. Those without families, come and have a family. If that is, I'm, I'm not trying to. Put stuff on the vision. But I'm just saying. You need to start talking it. Amen. How can you talk it if you don't know it? How would you know it? Well Julie never told me. Well find out. Knock on her door. Call her up. Three in the morning when you're interceding. And you forgot. And you forgot. To <laughs> okay no not that time alright then. <laughs> They start negotiating. Okay, look, I know that, you know, yes, I know we're going to be in trouble with the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but, but maybe you, you don't have to die on the cross. Maybe you can, you know, sort of just get whipped and, and come out on the other side as the man of God that was victorious. Negotiation. They come with negotiations. You're too young. 
You're too old. Gosh, I, I, yeah, let's not go on a tantrum. <laughs> we neg- they negotiate regarding the path we need to take. Maybe it's not this path, that path. Like this, the, the, the story I just told you of this gentleman and his wife who had this vision. They needed money. And, and here is, here is the, the, the first, to buy this land with the building, they needed 350,000 pounds 30, 40 years ago. That's a lot of money. They didn't have that money, so they started raising funds with friends and church, etc., etc. Like it's a prominent family in the country. They raised money. The day that they had to put down the money for the purchase, they went to their bank account. 550,000 pounds were raised. Hallelujah. And then they needed 1.2 million to do the rest. Suddenly, 350,000 that God raised 550 was forgotten. And 1.2 million seemed so impossible, they started negotiating the vision and the calling of God and they knocked on a door. That came with strings attached. And you know what happened? The vision was slightly off balance. You can still do what you want, but it must be a commercial. Oops. 25 years later. Do not negotiate what God has given you. If you have your personal calling, do not negotiate. Oh, I'm too old, Lord. You know? I don't function so well anymore, Lord. I, you know? It takes me 10 minutes to wake up in the morning and a half an hour to get out of bed. You know, it's hard work. <laughs> do not negotiate the calling of God. I pray that God would renew your strength as the eagle renews his strength. That you may be as strong now as you were in the days of your youth. Amen. Receive it. Receive it. And we see it in in the church in Milton Keynes where we fellowship. Young people. 25 year old kids. They have the wisdom of 80 year old people. it's, It's completely, completely and utterly intimidating me. Because these young people have such wisdom. And I'm like, it took me ages to get there. (laughs) You know how many heartbreaks I've had? How many bruised knees and elbows and bloody teeth and nose to know that? And you just know it? It's not fair, Lord. (laughs) It's just not fair. You know why it's happening? Time is running out. Time is running. I prayed about it. I'm telling you, I was intimidated by these young people. I said to God, what's going on here, Lord? And God said to me, the time is running out, devil. I don't have time for them to fall down and bruise and get back up and fall down and bruise. I can't afford that anymore. I need them to know my wisdom now. God needs you to get your strength back, to get your vision back, to start dreaming again. This world wants to negotiate your vision and your destiny because it hasn't been achieved in 30 years and now that you're over 60, you've given up because the world says you're too old. Well, world, Satan 
get behind me. Get behind me. Amen. <laughs> and off he goes. <laughs> this negotiation also comes from that inner voice. In my case, often. Not everybody like me, but I've served long enough and I've known enough men and women of God in, in very esteemed positions to know that this self-doubt thing is a killer. You, you, you know, you may look at anybody you want. Bill Johnson, you know, uh, what's the lady's name? I can't get her name now. The ministry. Joyce Meyer. You look at these people. Do you think they don't have self-doubt? You know, we used to joke. We used to say Mondays is a day off for pastors. You know why? Because we have to get through the depression. <laughs> Because you wake up on Monday morning and you go, oh, I should have said that. Why did I say that? Lord, forgive me for that. This inner voice negotiates your destiny every moment you grant it. Don't let it. Don't let it negotiate that vision in your heart with other things, with shining objects. It negotiates the terms and conditions. It doesn't say, well, Jesus, you're not called to that. But it negotiates the terms. Never, Jesus, this will never happen to you. He negotiates the terms and conditions by which you must achieve your destiny. Do not allow that inner voice to negotiate your destiny. Now, does all of this sound a bit familiar to you? Does this sound like this happened before in the Bible somewhere? We'll look at it in a moment. You see, now what happens is that still small voice. Gosh, how long have I been going? Is, am I, what time do we finish? Okay. I'll try and... I'll have to come back because there's so much more. Okay? There's just too much. I'm inviting myself. You said I can, so I'm dead. Um. There's just so much to this. Like I said, guys, this is really part of my introduction, really. But that's, where was I? What happens is that still small voice brings that little bit of self-doubt. You know, do I really have to die on a cross, Lord? Do I really have to go and work with the homeless, Lord? Do I really have to go and learn a new language, Lord? So that's still small. Me? Lord, you know, you and I both know that I kicked the dog yesterday very hard. And I, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm so sinful, Lord. Right? Then Peter comes along. Ding, 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 ding. Never, Jesus, never. Not in a dishonoring way. Not in a, you know, he doesn't come with his horns and his tail and says, oh, you're rubbish, you. Who do you think you are? No, no, no. They come and say, you know, you're the, you're the greatest pastor I've ever known. Why do you want to go out into India, into the mission field? This is my own personal experience. When God called us to plant schools and then churches in India, in the villages of India, my church didn't want to release me. In fact, it was a bit of an upset. 
And I lost a lot of people. Because I had a heart for missions. Not for pastoring. And my church not dishonoring me. But they couldn't agree with that. So what happened was. That voice of the people. Confirmed that voice inside of me. And whoops. Well it has to be God doesn't it? Does this sound familiar? These negotiations, and this is where we start to go into the body. The negotiations will most often be considered as wisdom. Wisdom. A worldly wisdom. A humanistic wisdom. I won't have time to get into it. I'm, I'm going to finish here because I can't, otherwise we'll be here all day. But, so what this negotiation looks like is, they come to you and they, they reason with logic. What do, you, what do you mean you're going to give up your job and sell your house and have nothing? What, what are you talking about? That's not, what about your old age devil? What about your pension devil? What about medical devil? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you stuff that was told me by my own father, by my own brother, by my best, best friend that I grew up with since we were five years old. Those words haunt me till this day. Hear me? Because today when I look at my friends and they have their houses paid for and they have their holiday homes where they go three weeks a year and they fly across the world on holidays and grand, and I sit here and I don't have a home to call my own. I have a a place I can lay my head. I don't own a house. I don't have a pension fund. Those words. Didn't they tell you I remember my dad looking at me and says, you don't understand. Now you are 23 years old. You're 24 years old. You think you're on top of the world. You don't know what it's like to be 60, devil. Take it from my wisdom, my experience, my logic. The calling of God often isn't logic. Logical, is that the right word? It most often goes against everything that's safe. In fact, if it is a safe calling, I have a doubt. I really have. Because why would you need God to do what you can do anyway? Right? If it doesn't scare you a little bit, (laughs) is it really God? These considerations, they often come with the consequences. Look at the outcome of your decision. What's the outcome going to be? What are you going to do when you're 60? I remember my best friend, we grew up together, came to visit me in Taiwan at the height of my ministry. Everything was going well, praise God, at that stage. And he spent a week with me. He's a businessman. We used to be in business together. He came to the Far East. I helped him to do some business stuff there. And I remember at the airport dropping him off. He said this to me. He says, your world is not real. I said, what do you mean it's not real? He says, well, this isn't real. He says, what you, this isn't real. This isn't life. <laughs> he couldn't see. He couldn't understand the purposes of God. 
He couldn't see. He couldn't understand the calling of God. He couldn't see. He didn't understand the destiny that Christ had for me. He didn't do it because he dishonors me. He didn't do it because he hates me. He did it. He said it because he loves me. Human wisdom will always consider safety. How safe is it? How comfortable will it be? Guys, I'm starting to develop this thing against this whole comfort situation. You know, people look at us at our age. Her family, my family, my friends. People look at us. I, I can tell you this. We were in a house group of leaders. This, I don't want to say where and when and how, but we were in a house group of leaders that looked at me when I shared with them, I don't own a house. We go where God sends us. We pack as we go. That's it. They looked at me and said, that is foolishness. It is foolishness to be at your age and not have a house paid for. It is foolishness at your age not to have security in this world. That's wisdom. Amen? It's worldly wisdom. Jesus said something, and and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm winding down. I genuinely, I promise you I'm winding down. Okay, just one thing. I said, does this sound familiar? All of these things I mentioned. Genesis 3 verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say not to eat from that tree. That's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. Does it sound familiar? Negotiations. Did he say that? Okay. But you won't die. Jesus, surely you won't die. You're the king of kings. You're going to be the new Israelite leader. We're going to rule the world. It all sounds too familiar. And I'm finishing with this where if, whenever I'm here next, we will start up with that. Jesus, Jesus says this. He says, get behind me, Satan. And we look at that. The word Satan there is adversary. Adversary. I don't know how to say it. Adversary. I don't know. Adversary. Okay. Yeah. It means opposition. It means to come against. It means your opponent. Okay. Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, adversary. Get behind me, opponent. What is your opponent in this destiny of God for you? What is your opponent? What is the opposition to where God wants you to go? He says, you, you are a stumbling block to me. I tell you, when I read that, I, 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 I sat there looking at the Bible. Jesus said he had a stumbling block. Jesus. Jesus. 
Are you hearing me? The man who walks on water. The guy who raises the dead. He said he's got a stumbling block. If Jesus sees that as a stumbling block, you and I should tremble in our boots. You hear me? I'm not trying to preach fear to you. What I'm trying to teach you and share with you this morning is this. Jesus said, get behind me, you opposition. You know why? Why do you think I remember verbatim these words that were spoken over me 30 years ago? Because I didn't tell it to get behind me. I allowed it to stay and become a stumbling block. And every time I trip up, oh, you, you know, this isn't real. This isn't the real world. Every time I stumble... This is foolishness. You should have security. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you don't deal with this opposition right here, right now, every time, it will become a snare in the future. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you. That you have called a church with a vision. If you can stand, if you don't want to stand, don't just, if you want to wake up. But I just want to release something here this morning that I have in my spirit. And it's this urgency to see the vision of God fulfilled. It's this urgency that from this time on, this church is to walk and talk vision, destiny. What is it that God has called you to? For some of you, the opposition is your own self-doubt. And Lord, we speak to that now. We command that opposition to get behind us. Remove yourself from our path in Jesus' name. No more self-doubt in Jesus' name. It's not by strength, nor power. It's not by my own ability. It's not by your strength, your power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord that you will walk into the destiny Jesus has for you. That God has set before you. Amen. 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 Get behind me, your opposition of self-doubt. In Jesus' name. Oh Lord, and, and, and you know I'm struggling with this one. This opposition of comfort. Oh man. Lord, Lord, I speak to this opposition of comfort that says I have to be comfortable. I have to be safe. I have to have security in this world. Get behind me, your adversary. Get behind me, this comfort, this opposition of comfort. I am willing to walk towards that which God has for me. And because of the joy set before us, we are willing to suffer this. Amen. Can we say that? Can we speak that? I'm willing. I'm willing to go through the suffering for the joy that is set before us. The joy that is to come when we reach the destiny in Christ every day, every moment, every week, every month, every year. Amen. Jesus, just come now, Lord. And and I I just want to speak this. Some of you, your your finances ease your opposition. Your finances ease your adversary. Because you believe you must have a 100,000 safety net for a rainy day. And God says, that is your adversary. 
It's time to take that and pour it into the kingdom so that you can have the joy that comes after the suffering. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to make these decisions. I see some of you, your children, your grandchildren is your adversary. Do you hear me? God is not saying not to love your children and your grandchildren. But some of you, they've become idols unto you. You are giving your life to them rather than the call of God in your life. Step out and speak to that adversary. Speak to that opposition and tell it to get behind you because you have a destiny in Christ. You have a vision in Jesus. You have a ministry to fulfill. You have a destiny on a road, on a path that is created by God. Yes, it's not comfortable. Yes, it includes suffering. But you better believe it includes the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. And you will see the glory of God come upon you as you set these things behind you. And Lord, I come now and I want to speak to this adversary of age and of ill health in Jesus' name. Get behind us, Satan. Get behind us, Satan. We are young in the spirit. Hallelujah. We are young in the spirit. Lord, I pray, renew our strength. Renew our bodies, Lord, that we are able to dream again, that we are able to work in the kingdom of God, Lord. If it means that we have to collect furniture, we will have the strength to do it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus, Satan, I command you, get behind us. Get behind us. We have a task. We have a purpose. We have a goal. We've got a job to do. And we're here to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.